In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, are, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. Storytelling has been a really good thing for our services. I've really, really loved getting to know you in this sort of way, uh, hearing you tell a public story. And I asked for names, uh, and uh, I got a bunch of names. And so we are, I think, all set until uh, through to the end of June. And we'll start plugging other people in um, in July. Uh, today, I want to introduce to you our storyteller, who is Sid Postma. We'll be hearing from Sid today. And then next week, we'll be hearing from his wife, Holly. So it's a nice uh, um, couple combo here. Uh, uh, Sid was here when I first came uh, five and a half years ago. And at first, this is a progression of how I feel about Sid. At first, I was really, really intimidated by him. He just looked like a scary guy. And he was on the elder board, and I was answering to him. And so that was my first phase with Sid. And then he took me to the Apple store, and uh, I went to buy some computers for our church. Instead, he suggested leasing it. And I thought, oh, this guy's got wisdom. So then I started to respect him. Uh, and then he told me the story about what happened on his honeymoon. you got to ask him about that. And then I thought, this guy's interesting. So then I just was curious about him. Uh, and then I've gotten to know him to be just a faithful, honest, reliable person uh, over these years. And so now I trust him. And so I'm happy to entrust this pulpit to him. Sid, come on up and tell us your story. So how am I going to follow up all that? Well, um, so it's my privilege to be your storyteller today. I also have really enjoyed this uh, portion of our service. It's been great to get to know others of you that I wouldn't ordinarily be in contact with. It's also been great to uh, just experience uh, whatever God's doing in everybody's life. And uh, I think it's amazing that God is working in all our lives one way or the other. So that's pretty wonderful. Um, <clears throat> our scripture passage today talks about angels. And uh, so I just wanted to tell you some supernatural events that have occurred in my life. And uh, maybe you'll believe in angels when I'm done, if you don't already. Um, I come from a legacy of faith 
And in fact, I brought my grandmother's Dutch Psalter. So this is uh, published in 1902, and it includes um, uh, the New Testament and psalms written to music. And I'm hesitant to open it anymore because it's crumbling. But anyway, so that's my legacy of faith. Uh, <clears throat> one event in our family tradition involves my grandfather's uh, bakery wagon. He was going across a dry creek bed with his bakery goodies, and uh, suddenly a thunderstorm broke out. This was his uh, horse-drawn bakery wagon. And this, uh, the horse was spooked by the thunder and wouldn't budge. So suddenly my grandfather found himself with a thunderstorm approaching a dry creek bed, which probably wasn't going to be dry for very long, and a horse was stuck in a stream. So he kept trying to get the horse to budge, but the horse wouldn't go, and he was about to lose his livelihood. So he laid down, excuse me, he got down on his knees and prayed and finally got the horse to go. So that's how he saved his livelihood. There was another time when I was riding in, my car, in our car with my father. Um, don't remember where we were going. We were coming up to an intersection very similar to um, Island Crest. And my father was a pretty aggressive driver. He had a green light and he was going forward, but suddenly he kept going slower and slower and slower and really remarkable that he would be going so slow when he's approaching a green light. I was just about to ask him, you know, what's up with this? How come you don't go? It's a green light. Just before we got the intersection, somebody came across on the red going probably 50 miles an hour. So if he hadn't slowed down, we would have been T-boned. Um, <clears throat> although I attended church regularly as I was growing up, by the time I was in high school, it was pretty much an academic exercise for me. I really wasn't all that interested. Uh, but when I went off to college, a lot of that changed for me. Uh, you know, some soul searching that happens when you're in college. It was common for kids in my age group to read um, Eastern philosophy at that uh, point in time. It's part of a soul searching process. And I remember reading a book uh, that made some disparaging comments about Jesus, and I knew enough about who Jesus was to say, you know what, I don't think that's true. I'm done with my soul searching process, dusted off my Bible, and started reading it again. Uh, about that time, <clears throat> um, I was transferred from one college to another, and uh, I had my newfound spiritual interest. I was at a new university with a great big uh, dormitory, and my f uh, housing assignment had been mixed up for some reason. So the first week, I went from one roommate to another, basically for the whole week, with a new roommate every week, uh, bouncing around in this large dormitory. At the end of that week, uh, I went down to breakfast, and all of these guys were sitting together. And I thought that was pretty weird. I mean, they were all over the university campus, excuse me, all over the dormitory. How could they all be sitting together? Turned out they were all part of one uh, university ministry. And I don't know, you know, I was busy. An angel was pretty busy, I think, messing up a lot of rooms assignments to make that work for me. <laughs> um, while my life, uh, while my family had a legacy of faith, it wasn't perfect by any means. Um, my mother suffered from mental illness, uh, as also my sister. Uh, my sister has been severely handicapped by her illness, has been uh, institutionalized uh, for most of her adult life. Um, this has certainly been difficult. Uh, God has used this situation to create a spiritual hunger in me. Uh, in fact, I felt that I haven't had the luxury of skepticism. There's been so much instability around me that I need an anchor. There have been events in my life which were clearly supernatural, but I want to leave um, some time for my special angel. Uh, while I was still single, I remember being a bit depressed uh, at this time of the year. Uh, I was living in a large house uh, with a housemate, and I prayed that God would fill that house and fill it with the joy of Christmas. And not too long after that, I was in this church in a kind of a prayerful state about life, when, no kidding, 
the Holy Spirit raised my blinders and I saw this beautiful woman in the choir. Um, and that, of course, is Holly, my precious wife, an angel in disguise. I experienced a special grace and patience from Holly despite all my foibles. Uh, for example, early, early in our courtship, uh, we were enjoying a tender moment and a nice tender hug, and we were kind of ear to ear. And I chose that moment to say, hey, I can hear the ocean. <laughs> you can just call me Doc Martin. It really was a miracle that we were married. Then God proceeded to answer my prayer about filling the house with kids uh, stacked up like cordwood, and lots of wonderful holidays filled with warmth and hospitality. Those of you who know Holly know that I am richly blessed in her. She is a wonderful woman who makes our lives rich and full. Her personal and spiritual maturity uh, make most of the challenges of marriage pretty easy. Uh, she's a wonderful woman to our five, a wonderful mom to our five kids. The contrast between my life between Holly before and after is like night and day. Uh, did I mention she's gorgeous? <laughs> Way better looking than Gabriel, I think. I focused on obvious supernatural events in my life, but looking back on my life in preparation for this talk, I've been reminded that God's gracious hand has been with me all the time. Uh, probably my biggest mistakes have been failing to believe that or to translate that faith into appropriate action. I've enjoyed a career that can be satisfying, uh, when I'm called to place an epidural for a mom in labor, often everyone is tense. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, if the epidural placement goes well by God's grace, everybody's happy. Uh, mom is doing better, the nurse is happier, dad's asleep. Um, but none of that lasts forever. Uh, it doesn't compare to the privilege and satisfaction of participating in building the kingdom of God, which does last forever. I want to represent God at home and, in a way, uh, at, home and at work in a way that glorifies him and is appealing to others. I often fail, but to, to, to succeed, I need more than angels. I need Jesus, Emmanuel. That's my story. While children ages kindergarten to fifth grade, I would ask that you would stand at this time. Just stay standing where you're at. I would like to pray for you this morning as we send you out to Sunday school. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you for the gift of these children. Bless them now as they go to discover and learn more about you. May their faith go down deep and love abound in them. Be with their teachers now as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may go to class now. Thank you so much, Sid, for that wonderful testimony. What a gift to get to hear from you. And Sid is a faithful Sunday school volunteer. So if you were inspired by him, talk to me afterwards. Isn't it refreshing to hear a yes? I don't know if it's because I'm a children and youth pastor, and I'm usually trying to wrangle someone into doing something for me, that when I hear that word yes to one of my requests, it's as if the heavens have parted and the angelic host is singing, Alleluia. Or perhaps I love the word so much because I have an 18-month-old daughter who loves to tell me no. Mary, it's time for breakfast. No. Mary, we need to change your diaper. No. Sometimes she'll just look at me and say, no. Yes may be one of my favorite words in the English dictionary, 
I love it when people tell me yes. However, I am not the greatest yes person myself. I usually like the non-committal, let me think about that. Or to Christianize it, let me pray about that. <laughs> Often my yes is contingent on a line of questioning. What will that commitment entail? Why did you ask me? Have you thought about asking so-and-so? This sort of questioning drives my husband, Ben, crazy. I remember recently we were watching a movie, some action movie, not my choice, and the characters were in a dangerous situation and one of the other characters tells the other one to do something and she just does it. No questions asked, she does it. Ben looked over at me and he said, gosh, I wish you were like that. I know if we were in a dangerous situation and I made a request of you, it would come back with a, with a litany of questions. Why? Why do you want me to do that? This is what is so remarkable about our gospel passage this morning. The angel Gabriel comes to deliver this news to Mary that she would have a child, and not just any child, the Son of God. Mary's only question is about practicality. How can this be since I am a virgin? Once explained, she responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In the Protestant church, we tend to gloss over Mary. We simply think of her as the mother of God, once a virgin. We pull her out of our Christmas boxes once a year and place her in the manger nativity scene. And then the rest of the year, we focus on other biblical greats. I have never heard a sermon series on Mary, the mother of God. And in fact, it is only in Luke's gospel that we, he recounts her interaction with the angel Gabriel and later her song of praise a few verses after our scripture this morning. But yet, it is Mary's yes to the angel that impacted our lives. Her willingness to say yes to God meant salvation for the world. Mary's response seemed effortless, but it came with such a great sacrifice. She was a teenage girl, no older than 13 or 14 years old at the time. She was engaged to be married to Joseph and most likely had envisioned what life with him would have been like. Her accepting the Christ child this would change it all. And she knew the consequences of saying yes. In that time, a woman found to be with child out of wedlock would have been stoned to death. And in the very least, the engagement with the man she was supposed to be married to would have been off. An unwed mother in this community would have been dismissed from her home and from her social status. She would have been found unclean by the Jewish faith and would have had to live outside of society. Her yes meant she would most likely be raising this child on her own with no support. But there was a reason that God chose Mary. The angel Gabriel said, you are highly favored. To be a favored one of God meant that you were righteous, which is different than a meaning that might conjure up in our own minds. Then it just literally meant that you trusted in God. Mary being highly favored meant she had a deep faith. 
the angel telling her no word from God will ever fail, reminded Mary that no matter the outs what the outside risk may be, God is bigger and God will take care. Yesterday I had the privilege of attending the woman's brunch. Growing up with all brothers, I always really liked being a girl and the woman's brunch only solidified that. It is such a lovely event. Our entertainment for the morning was the radio enthusiasts of Puget Sound radio rendition of It's a Wonderful Life. If you are not familiar with this story, the main character, George Bailey, is shown what life would have been like if he had never been born. The story illustrates the impact of one person's life here on earth, and especially the decisions that person makes, how they impact the others around them. It made me then start to think, what if Mary said no? Mind you, if you read the passage carefully, the angel Gabriel isn't giving her an option. He's just telling her what's going to happen. But what if the option, what if there was an option? And what if she said no? How would it change things? Well, fast forward 2,000 years, this would be a radically different sermon. We wouldn't even be talking about Mary. I'd imagine God would seek out another willing participant to carry God's child. But what if everyone was paralyzed by the consequences of what they had to give up in order to do the Lord's will? What if God continued to meet the response of no? There would be no Christmas season. There would be no Easter. There would be no mediator for us between God. The weight of the darkness would loom, and the light found in the Christ child would never have appeared. I read this week about a lot of people who had said no and regretted it. Most of these had to do with great business ventures. I read about a man who owned 10% of Apple in the very beginning, and he didn't think it would go anywhere, so he sold his share for $2,000. That share today is worth $40 billion. There were many other stories of what people had missed out on by saying no. There's no way Mary could have understood how her yes would shape the rest of history. But she did know that she believed in a God who did good works, who was mighty and powerful, who loved humanity, and desired peace. She believed in the testimonies of the long history of those who had gone before and had said yes, and had seen the impact of God work in and through their lives. So she willingly accepted the message of Gabriel. No matter the consequence, Mary was on board with what God was doing. One of the commentators I read this week said, the evangelist Luke does not exalt Mary as a goddess, or as a mother, or even as a woman. He thinks she has a more important role, as the ideal Christian. The third gospel, Mary becomes the model of Christian discipleship for all persons, men and women alike, who wish to emulate, if, for those who wish to emulate, especially for those who want to follow her son. 
It got me thinking about the people in my own life who had said yes to me. First off, my parents for saying yes to having a fifth child. But then there is a long list of people who have significantly impacted my life because of their willingness to commit to it. One that comes to mind is a small group leader I had in high school. I became a Christian at the end of my junior year of high school. However, I started attending a Bible study with one of my friends prior to committing my life to Christ. My leader then was in her 50s. She opened her home weekly to us girls to meet. She had been meeting with these girls since they were freshmen, and when my friend asked if I could join, she wholeheartedly said, of course. Well, she didn't quite know what she was signing up for. The four other girls were Christians, and I came with my hefty bag of doubts and skepticism, and I did not hesitate on asking my questions that were often met with an, I don't know, I just trust. I remember one group meeting looking at all of them and saying, are you sure you all aren't just afraid to die so you want to believe this? I remember my leader responding, it's more than an afterlife for me, Elise. It's about life. I believe God wants a relationship with me, and I have found that through Jesus Christ. But I cannot give you my faith. But I will pray that God will give you faith to trust in that promise as well. My leader's yes gave me a safe space to question, to wrestle with faith with believers rather than my mostly unbelieving friends. It gave me holy ground to discover who God was and is. This wrestling was necessary for me to accept the message of the gospel and to be committed. Later, I went to college, expecting to enter the world of business or journalism. I had the notion of a plan. I wanted the secure career with insurance and retirement. I wanted the husband, the house, and the, and the children. And I wanted it nice, tidy, and simple. Well, little did I know that my yes to following Christ meant a not-so-simple life. I said yes to a youth pastor in Olympia shortly after graduating when he asked me to volunteer in the youth group. And from that point forward, life as I knew it was over. This led to a strong desire to be in full-time vocational ministry. So I quit my secure career with insurance and retirement and became a youth intern. Then I went to seminary for three years of full-time academics and took on more student debt only to make the same salary I did with a bachelor's degree. I went from a career that sustained, would have sustained me into retirement to one that requires transitions and movement. A yes to God is often met in the darkness. We do not know what it will all entail. We do not know what we will have to give up or let go of in, to, in order to obediently follow. We just know that the history of those who have said yes before us have allowed light to shine in the darkness. These yeses to volunteering in ministries at church, in missions in the community, and in serving God in ways we don't feel equipped to, these yeses have provided places for Christ to show up and have enriched and enhanced the lives of others.
A yes to making coffee on a Sunday morning means more to people than you know. A yes to teaching Sunday school or volunteering in youth groups leaves imprints on young people's lives that will never be erased. God left the world the church so that we might be a foretaste of the coming kingdom, a kingdom of peace, of love, and of unity, a place where all people belong to one another and we seek ways to serve the other. And young people out there, Mary is just as much an example for you. Remind you, she was a teenager when she said this yes to God's request. For the work of the church is the entire body of the church, young and old alike. So then I have to ask, when was the last time you said yes to God? May we all learn to live into the witness of our Christian exemplar Mary and follow God into the unknown, trusting in the one who sent his one and only son to live amongst us, to heal us, to love us, and to show us the way to everlasting life. May we learn to boldly say yes to God and witness more of the world's darkness overcome by light. Let us pray. Almighty and holy God, we thank you for the gift of your servant Mary, for her humble presence that shows up each and every Advent season and reminds us of the courage of just a girl to say yes to your glorious plan. I pray for each and every individual in this room and for myself, God. May we have faith like Mary that goes down deep, that we are willing to follow you into the darkest places of this world, that we may bring your light. Inspire us now, O Holy Spirit, how you can use us to bring your kingdom here and now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.